Thank you so much. I'm going to get you to hold that, would you? You don't mind? Sure. Thank you. Thank you. You'll stand behind him and hold it over there. <laughs> I know every time, uh, every time I get to speak in front of a group of men, I always, I, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, I could take him. <laughs> I get that a lot. I really do. I, I was a, uh, a sickly child growing up, constantly in and out of the hospital, uh, mainly with uh, pneumonia. Uh, in the fourth grade, I had polio. Uh, I was in the hospital, in Winter Haven Hospital, for three months. Had to learn how to walk all over again, and then back in the hospital, back in the hospital, and they finally found out that um, I had about 200 allergies. And so they sent me to Watson Clinic and Lakeland, and they got me on this uh, new medication uh, that helped me. And suddenly I started uh, uh, putting on weight at the end of high school. I finally started putting on weight, and I had a great doctor. He got me going to the gym, and I really enjoyed it. And, and I, my wife and I graduated from college. We came back to uh, Central Florida, and one day I was reading the Tampa Tribune and it said wanted professional wrestlers and my wife was teaching at her alma mater in Plant City and I, I took the paper over, I was so excited and I showed it to her and I said, look at here, it says wanted professional wrestlers and she, she's a high school math teacher, was a high school math teacher and she was grading papers and she looked at it and she just rolled her eyes and started, kept grading, grading papers and so I went over, I don't know if you remember uh, the great Malenko. Uh, great Malenko, he, he trained me and I had my first match in 1978 and got to wrestle all through 1988 and it was a, just a, a great experience, I loved it uh, and, and I always have Bubba come up to me afterwards and say, all that wrestling's fake, ain't it? And I, I say, you know, I, I, I start down here, I had a crushed ankle, I've had five knee surgeries, both ACLs, MCLs, dislocated hips, broke pelvis, Broke all my ribs, sternum, both collarbones. I've had both shoulders surgically repaired. Over a hundred concussions. Broke my nose so many times I can't breathe out of it. Neck injuries, back injuries. Broke all my fingers. If it hadn't been broken, it's not on me. And so I always love that. And and I always ask them too. How do you fake a body slam? How do you fake that? Anyway, uh, I just really loved it. Uh, graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas in 1988 and went to my first church. And uh, that's really where the, the transition started. Uh, by the way, there's not a whole lot of guys still around that I worked against. You, you remember uh, The Undertaker. Yeah. I, I wrestled The Undertaker. I will never forget, and the story, the story is in my book too, uh, I was wrestling him in Dallas, it was on Friday night, and whenever I wrestled on Friday night, it was always family fun night. After I wrestled, we would go out and do something with our, our two girls, and so we were uh, ready to do that, but the guy that was supposed to work against Mark Calloway, who was the undertaker, did not show up that night, and so they needed somebody to wrestle him, and I volunteered. I, I knew this guy was gonna be a star, and so I had to tell the referee, go back out, find my wife, tell her that I'm going to wrestle again because uh, they would give me enough time to get a shower and they'd meet me in the parking lot and we would go out and do our thing. So referee came back in. He said, I found them. Uh, you're good. I couldn't wait for this because they had no idea who I was wrestling. 
So I had to get in the ring first. The lights came down. That hideous music was on. And I found my wife and my two little girls. I found them in the crowd. There they were right there. And so when the lights went down and that hideous music started and the undertaker walked through, I was looking at my girls and, and both my, girl, my little girls, both of them started crying when they saw that. <laughs> and then I noticed my wife, my wife was, picked her purse up really quickly and started looking through it. And anyway, the match started. That night we were driving back to Fort Worth and I looked in the rearview mirror. Both my girls were asleep and I looked over at my wife and I said, Hey, babe, right before the match started, I saw you picked up your purse and you were going crazy through your purse. What was that about? And she said, uh, oh, she said, I was looking for the checkbook to make sure you'd paid the insurance. Uh, yeah. uh, I was the only thing male in my house. I, I will tell you that. Uh, I had two girls and a dog who was neutered. And when, uh, when my wife and I were 16 years old, we went to the mall and we were, you know, walking through the mall and I made this comment. I said, babe, I just love watching you shop. And then God immediately got in touch with the birth angel and said, give that boy two girls for lying. Only thing male in my house. Sometimes I go out next to the mailbox just for company. I mean, we had enough. We had enough hairspray in our house. You just throw things up in the air. They just stick in midair. And both my girls thought that I was uh, nosy. Uh, at least uh, that's what they said in their diaries. Uh, my dad was a taxidermist and a veterinarian. His card said, "Either way, you get your cat back." Yeah, uh, and the crazy thing is, I had I had three older sisters. Can you imagine what hand-me-downs were like in the Whaley household? I'll never forget going to the first grade, and I had the same dress on that my first-grade teacher had on, and he didn't appreciate that. I'll guarantee you. Uh, I was a '70s uh, child. I see uh, Dr. David Sanfilippo. Uh, I used to be his pastor, and. It was great to see him, and I've always been jealous of his hair because when I got 40, my hair went underground, started coming out my nose and my ears and my back, and now my hairline's making a beeline for my behind, and, and, and it, it, it's, it's not fun. Well, uh, I just want to tell you that what I'm sharing with you today is going to be a hard message. Um, I don't think there's ever been a time in history more than now, that our family has been under attack. Now, I'll try to do as Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, and not be hasty to speak. But I want to read a, a passage of Scripture, if I can find my Bible. There it is. Now, I am not speaking on this passage and that's not a good thing to do, but I just want to kind of jump off here. This comes from uh, Genesis 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. 
Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Listen to this, listen. Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men. Now, when I read that, guys, I, I, I'm dumbfounded. Can you imagine a daddy so involved in the world that he would be willing to give up his girls up to a group of men and say to them, do with them as you please? Now, I'm not speaking on that passage. I just want to kind of use it as a jumping off place. It has not been that long ago that a man was out mowing his, his yard on a Saturday morning. His precious daughter in pigtails was out riding her bike. Just, just a beautiful morning. And then a car came out of nowhere and grabbed that nine-year-old, and that, that daddy never saw his little girl alive again. This is not an isolated story. Kidnapping is a national phenomenon. The American Bar Association has said that 100,000 children are kidnapped every year. They are being taken from amusement parks, from ball fields, from schoolyards, from uh, department stores, and from front yards. Guys, it is a national tragedy. Now, one of the biggest concerns for young families, can you imagine it? One of the biggest concerns for young families is will their children be safe when they drop them off at schools or even at church? An even bigger problem, one and a half million children come up missing every year. Some of, uh, some of them are runaways, some of them are throwaways, some get lost, some wander away from home. Sociologists tell us that there are three reasons so many are coming up missing. One of them is domestic reasons. They're just tired of what's going on at their home. And they feel like when they can make it on their own, they just hit the road. You, you do realize the concept of marriage in the home is in tremendous difficulty. Oh, out of 1,000 marriages, over 500 of them end in divorce. The second reason was demonic reasons. Guys, there's just a lot of evil people in the world doing evil things that don't even seem to shock us anymore. And when we hear it on the news, we're not even moved. The third one was demented reason. Child pornography did over a half billion dollars last year. So guys, with a broken heart this morning, I want to tell you that we are losing our children. And now, with the abortion laws receiving standing ovations, in state houses of Congress for being able to abort a child in the third trimester, how much lower can we go? Guys, we need to do something. What's the problem? One of the biggest problems is just apathy. We don't 
care and we don't care that we don't care. The Bible tells us that Lot was a righteous man and he was vexed by the filthiness of this world. You see, Lot moved into Sodom and he got caught up in the filthiness of Sodom and he got so busy trying to make a living that he forgot to make a life. And he forgot a lot of things and he got caught up in riches and he forgot about righteousness. So I want to tell you in the time that I have here, I want to tell you that there are three animals that are out to destroy the home. The first one is biblical liberalism. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Guys, I want to tell you, as a boy, I remember when if was never a question. Guys, we had rock-solid foundations that were so rock-solid and secure that they could never be destroyed. When I was growing up, I was taught what was right. I was taught what was wrong. There was no gray area. Nothing was up for debate. And guys, my folks used to persuade me. And when philosophical and sociological uh, attempts made no bearing, my folks used physical science. My mom and dad had a board that said, I need thee every hour. <laughs> Our teenagers today are in such a confused state of moral values. They don't know what is right and what is wrong. And one of the big problems is biblical liberalism. Men, there was a time, there was a time when people just believed the word of God. There was a time when godly men stood up behind the sacred desk and they said, thus saith the Lord, and people just believed it. By as early as the beginning of the 20th century, some of our Ivy League schools were used as schools of higher learning for the ministry. But we, we sent some of our intellectual young men over to England, and over there they became acquainted with something called higher criticism, which is a repudiation of the supernatural. And they began to bring that back to the shores of our country and it infiltrated our churches. And then in 1966, 53 years ago, someone got up and said, God is dead. Folks, that is not any different than today. I believe it's even stronger today. I think the God is dead pronouncements are stronger today than they've ever been. Now, uh, they, they just don't say it today. They, they do more about living it. But I got a big problem with that. If God is dead, what was the fatal sickness that killed him? If God is dead, where is he buried? If God is dead, when was the funeral held? Who identified the body? Who signed the death certificate? And why weren't we notified? We're next of kin, bless God. God is not dead, men. I want you to know that. He's not even sick. Now, now we've got a world that doesn't believe the word of God, and I want all of you men to know something. I don't believe we have one problem in this nation that could not be solved if we would just get back to the basics of the word of God. Dads, men, we have got a lot of extracurriculars that are calling for our children I want you to know the most important thing to my wife and I was not if our girls could lead a cheer or if they could win a beauty contest. The most important thing for us is that our girls grew up loving Jesus and walking with him. Now, biblical liberalism is stifling our land. 
The second one is sociological humanism. Have you ever thought about what destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Ezekiel 16, 49-51 says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus we were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw it. Furthermore, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, for you have multiplied your abominations more than they. Thus, you have made your sisters appear righteous by all of your abominations which you have committed. You see, guys, it was pride. It was fullness of bread. It was haughtiness. And what is strangling America today is our pride and our haughtiness before God. We have deified man and humanized God. If it feels good, it's okay. And today, morality is simply individual. Think for a moment about the ACLU. The ACLU does not stand for the Association or the American Civil Liberties uh, Union. It stands for the Association of Cockeyed Lawyers United. Do do you believe what they stand for? I mean, they believe that pornography ought to be protected under the First Amendment. They believe prostitution ought to be legalized. They believe drugs should not be prohibited. They believe all churches should be taxed. Guys, it is pride, pride that struts itself in the face of God, pride that causes sin that used to sleaze down back alleys. Now it struts down Main Street. It used to piously prowl in the night, and now it pompously parades in the light, and we shake our fist in the face of a holy God. Men, we have not gotten big enough to shake our fist in the face of a holy God. I believe the Bible, and I believe the law of the harvest. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And you know what it means? It means, guys, that the crops are coming in. It is not an accident that we are where we are. Crops that were planted 200 years ago are beginning to come in. I challenge you to take a history book and go back in history and look at a man by the name of George Frederick Hegel. He said that he had a new theory. He said there are no absolutes. He said there's no real right, no real wrong. He says it's all gray. A few years later, a guy by the name of Ludwig Feuerbach came along. He agreed with Hegel. He said the reason that we are so religious is because we created God. He said we've got to have something to worship. And so we created God to make us feel good or feel bad. And he also said there are no absolutes. A few years later, there was a guy by the name of Charles Darwin who came along He agreed with Hegel. He agreed with Feuerbach. He believed that God could not have made us. We just came from some kind of primordial ooze. And then Sigmund Freud came along, and he agreed with Hegel and Feuerbach and Darwin, and he believed the reason we are so terribly sinful and so ugly is because of our sexual, uh, we're sexual animals. He said, all of our neurosis comes from our erotic desires. He said, we're nothing more than animals. In the 20th century, a guy by the name of John Dewey came along, and he believed all the lies of Hegel and Feuerbach and Darwin and Freud. He was the father 
of progressive education, one of the signers of the Humanist Manifesto. He was one of the founders of the ACLU, and he said there are no absolutes. So, guys, philosophically, in the 1940s and the 50s, our Supreme Court began to agree with that attitude that had been planted long ago. And in the last 60 years, you realize our Supreme Court has sent down some edicts that have absolutely stifled our land. 1962, Engel versus Vital, prayer in the public schools is unconstitutional. 1963, the Shimp decision, it said no more classroom Bible studies. You know, I gotta tell you, one of the things that influenced me in my Christian life was my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Harrison, when I was at Lena Vista Elementary in Auburndale, Florida, we would come in after recess. She would read the Bible to us every day. That was a public school. 1973, Roe versus Wade, abortion on demand. And now states are putting forth legislation to abort children up to the time of birth, even allowing them to die if they're born alive. God help us. Can you imagine, guys, the moral fogginess that we are teaching our children? You can have a sea turtle. The sea turtle eggs have unbelievable protection. You can be fined thousands of dollars and put in prison for messing with bird nests and bird eggs, but you can kill all of the babies that you want. Every time the church attempts to stand up for the unborn, the abortionists say, let the church stay out of politics. Guys, I just want to ask you, when did we come to a time when the life of a baby became a political issue? 1982, creationism as a viable alternative was abandoned from the public schools of America. Get the picture. Over a 20-year period, this is what we said. God, you are no longer welcome in the government and the public schools of America. Do you realize in major cities all across our land, your child cannot go to a school-based clinic and receive an aspirin without your permission, but your daughter can go and get an abortion without your knowledge? God help us. We are telling our kids today, you're just a product of chance. We just kind of happen. We're self-existing. It is okay to live like animals. And men, if we do not have a heaven-sent Holy Ghost revival in our land, the next generation might just live like animals. And I want to tell you this, and, and please listen. I want you to know this. Our children want to know what is right and what is wrong. Men. I challenge you to get involved in the life of your children and your grandchildren and ask them what they are being taught. Do you realize that the greatest education your children will ever receive is the one that they receive from you? Amen. I never expected my kids to be taught about the things of God, even in church. We taught them that at home. Anything they got at church was extra. Anything they got at school was extra. Third thing, moral paganism. Children are being raised in a land that no longer believes in the power of God. Did you know that most of our television shows are banned in foreign countries because they are an offense to their morality? We have biblical liberalism, sociological humanism, moral paganism, that are killing our families. And I want to challenge you this morning, men. 
God called you to be the spiritual leader of your home. One of the greatest things that God can use to bring back revival is for godly men to rise up and to become the leaders that God intends for them to be. And don't tell me, don't tell me that we don't have the power to make a difference. Do you realize who our God is? I mean, he is the one that Isaiah called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's the one that Moses called the seed of woman. Matthew called him the king of the Jews. David called him my redeemer. Mark called him the servant of God. Daniel called him the fourth man in the fire. Luke called him the day spring. Ezekiel called him the wheel within the wheel. John called him the lamb of God. Paul called him Savior. Peter called him the chief shepherd. I call him my cleanser, my communion, my coming king. To the astronomer, he's the bright and morning star. To the baker, he's the bread of life. To the builder, he's the chief cornerstone. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley. And to the gardener, he's the rose of Sharon. To the farmer, he's the sower and the seed. To the geologist, he's the rock of the ages. The book calls him the way, the truth, the life, the door, the rock, the root out of dry ground, the son of righteousness, the head of the church, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. That's the Jesus that I'm talking about. And I know you face, I know you face all kinds of obstacles, but I want to remind you, that our God spoke this world into existence out of nothing. Our God made the mountains. Our God parted the Red Sea and allowed a million people to walk across on dry ground. Our God made an axe head float. Our God brought down fire and consumed a wet sacrifice. Our God made it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and then started all over again with an ark full of animals and one family. Our God conquered an army of thousands with an army of 300. Our God healed the blind, the deaf, the mute. He raised the dead. Our God fed thousands with just a couple of loaves and a few fish. Our God was killed on a cross. He was put in a grave and came out alive and in color three days later. Our God gives hope to everyone here. It is an eternal hope for those who are saved. It is a hope of salvation for those who are not. Don't forget what an awesome, awesome God we serve who is able to change this land. Years ago here in Florida, I don't know if you remember, but there was a, a housing development that started. It was going to have half million dollar homes in it. It was a gated community. There were going to be 200 homes in there. They sold them out unbelievably quick. And after a couple of years, they started noticing cracks in the walls. They started noticing cracks in the floor and windows would not shut and doors were, they were having difficulty with doors shutting. And so they brought in uh, an engineer and they began to looking to see what the problem was, and they started doing their history, and they found out that that community had been built on top of a landfill, and the garbage was beginning to settle, and it was causing the foundations to break. They were interviewing the man who started, the, started that community, and he said this on TV. He said, 
I guess you just can't build a home on garbage. And there are men all across our land that are building their homes on garbage. You have to make a difference. You have to touch other lives. It takes one man touching another man and that man touching another man and discipling and growing and strengthening men and seeing the iron men of God grow from 150 to 200 to 300 men because you have a desire to serve this awesome God and make a difference to leave for our children and, and grandchildren. Don't give up, iron men of God. Stay strong, stay focused, and stay the course. God bless you. Thank you for letting me come.